You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. In this message, Pastor Jonathan tells us what happens when we behold the Lamb. We hope you enjoy this message. How we doing this morning? I'm going to try and preach the Bible today. <laughs> oh, Jesus, you're so good. Let's pray. Lord, with the moments that we have right now, just give it to you. We thank you for your presence. You're so good. We give you glory and praise. We love you so much. Help me not to be a puddle, but if you want to, that's fine. We love you so much. Amen. Man. Uh, as, as pastors and leaders here, it's our heartbeat, it's our passion, it's our desire to facilitate an environment where you can encounter the presence of God. It's our number one core value at the Promise Church is the presence of God. That phrase is not a cliche, it's not a weird metaphor. When we say the presence of God, what we mean is that we want a place where Jesus shows up. Because if his presence is here, that means he is here. And the whole purpose of Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead for you and for me was so that we could know him and that we could, we could know him intimately and be a people that are about his presence, are people who host his presence, carry his presence, have his presence in us, with us, around us, all of the time. Jesus did not die on the cross and shed his blood and go through torture and hell for you so that you could go to church on a Sunday morning and casually approach him the rest of your life. He gave everything for you because he wants all of you. He wants to know you with everything. He wants you to know him with all of your being. Encounters with God are awesome. I love them. They're great. I had one this morning, multiple of them, and I'm a mess. But an encounter with Jesus is not enough. It is true that any one encounter with Jesus can change your life. But that's because... You responded to the invitation of the encounter to go to the secret place and spend time with him. An encounter should lead to the secret place where you are alone with him and you adore him and you love on him and you listen to him and you talk to him. And then from that place, it takes you into an intimate connection with him, closer than the closest of friendships, the closest of relationships in your life. And from that Intimate relationship, transformation actually can, can come. Transformation, transformation actually happens in your life. We want people to know God. If there was one thing that I would want the Promised Church to be known for, is like, wow, those people really know Jesus. They really know him. Man, those people, they are a people of the presence of God. That's what we want. More than anything, I love our theme of moving forward 
It's needed. It's necessary. We must grow. We must mature. We must move forward in things in our lives. But if we aren't moving forward from a place of intimacy with him, we're going to miss it. All of a sudden, all of the things that we're trying to grow in and change in our lives, the community that we're trying to be part of, how we're trying to steward our finances better, how we're trying to evangelize more, all of those things are awesome and amazing and needed in our lives. But if we're not doing them from a place of intimacy, we can quickly go into religion. We can quickly go into duty. We can quickly go into a place of God. Look at all I'm doing for you. You owe me. He owes us nothing. He gave everything. We are in his debt. He is not a means to an end. God, I will spend time with you in my devotions. I will tithe. I will give. I I will evangelize. I will not sin. I will do all this stuff so, God, that I can have these things. I want a spouse. I want kids. I want a house. I want a good career. I want you to bless me. I want healing. I want peace. I want joy. He is the end. He is the prize. He is the treasure. If you're pursuing him for something, you're missing it. I fear, my my concern is at times, uh, as Christians, we could easily pursue the Lord how I pursue exercise. How I pursue working out. Crisis mode. Look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, shoot. It's time to start working out. It's time to start eating that ice cream. Glory. And then you start working out and you put some disciplines in. You start trying to be, you know, exercise more. And then the results that you're looking for begin to show a little bit. And you're like, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm doing great. Doing awesome. I'll start eating that ice cream again. I'll be all right. I, I don't need to work out three days a week or four days a week. I'll just work out one or two. I'm looking real good. I don't even work out at all. I'm just really busy. And we get to a place of complacency. We get to a place of only pursuing something because we need something. Only pursuing something because we're in crisis. Not just to know him. Not just to be with him. Not just to adore him. Not just because he's so good and so deserving, and so worthy. On March 4th, this is just a little over a month ago. It was a Monday. It sounds like a video, a YouTube video. It's just, it was a Monday. I'm trying to lighten the mood for myself here. And I looked at my week, and I'm like, this week's going to be crazy. I have meetings almost every night. If I'm going to take a day off this week, this is the day. If I'm going to rest this week, this is the day. So I didn't do anything. After I took my kids to school, I went home, and I could have done anything. Could have read books, could have exercised, which I did later. Could have watched movies, played video games, whatever, run errands. I could have done a lot of things. And I thought, you know what? I just want to spend some more time with the Lord. And I already had earlier that morning, really early that morning. I'd already read my Bible. I'd already prayed. I'd already worshipped. So I want to do it some more. I started watching a video, a YouTube video of a message. That finishes, and I just begin to worship. 
just begin to pray. And I encountered him in such a real way. This is not to tell a story of boasting in any way. Please hear my heart. But I got wrecked by God. I literally was shaking in my house, speaking in a whole new language. I've spoken in tongues since 12 years old, okay? So that wasn't it. It was a whole new one. And God began to speak to me and began to show me what he wants to do here. He began to show me visions and pictures of prophetic words that have been spoken over this house years and years ago. Pictures of cars lined up out of this parking lot all the way to the freeway trying to get in here because of the glory that God wants to fall on this place with. And this is not about me. This is not about this church. We're not in it for our own glory in any way. And he showed me all that. And he began to speak to me about different things. And he began to say to me, do you want that or do you just want me? Because I can't give you any of that if you're in it for those things. And then he asked me, are you willing to pray for those who will persecute you? It wasn't a rhetorical question. It was a real question. And I said, yes, Lord. And I began to weep and weep. Because not everyone really wants Jesus. They have their agendas and they have their ideas of what it looks like. It's supposed to be like. And if it doesn't fit in their box, it doesn't work for them. And so I began to pray and weep. And then the Lord began to speak to me and show me he wants to do it. But he wants to know that our hearts are in a place where he is enough. Where he is all we want. It's not about recognition. It's not about notoriety. It's not about fame. It's not about look what God's doing here. It's like, it's not about that. It's just about him. And it's about being a, being a people that God can move through to change regions. He wants to give us cities, cities, more than the four that we say that we are, more than La Center, Richfield, Kalama, and Woodland. He wants to give us cities, more than St. Helens. But he's got to know he has your heart. I had all this wonderful message thing prepared today. I haven't spoken in a long time, so I had plenty of time to put notes together. It's a bad idea. My heart, our heart as pastors here is to reveal Jesus to you, where you encounter him and you're never the same. But you're not the, you're, it's not that you're never the same for something. It's that you're never the same because you see him, you know him, and you love him with all that you have. In Revelations chapter 5 was the scripture I wanted to share out of today. I'm not going to, I'm not going to read it. You don't need to put it up there. Just go back home sometime this week and look at it. Revelations chapter 5 talks about the Apostle John who, who was the one who put his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, who was the one known as one that was intimate with Jesus, where he, they knew each other as the best of friends. 
and, and John is taken up into heaven, and he sees this, has this vision. He's in the throne room, and he, he sees the Father God sitting on the throne, and he, there's this scroll, and they, they, they're, they're, for some reason, John realizes that the scroll needs to be opened, but no one is worthy to open the scroll, and he begins to weep, and one of the elders there says, don't weep, it's okay, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he can open the scroll. So John's told to look for a lion, and he turns and he looks towards the throne, and he sees a lamb that was slain. He sees a lamb that was slain. What's happening here? Was there an actual lion? Was there an actual lamb? I don't personally think so. I think there was a prophetic metaphoric imagery to to show us who Jesus is. Jesus is the lion, and he is the lamb. Lion has this representation of majesty, of victory, of hunger, on the prowl for the hunt. And the lamb has this imagery of humility, of gentleness, of being used for sacrifice in the Bible context. And he says he looks and he sees a lamb that was slain. And he's able to go and take the scroll and all of heaven begins to worship and begins to rejoice and begins just to go into a frenzy of worship. Because when you really see him, all you want to do, all you can think of, all you can do is worship. And the theme of the lamb, the story of the lamb is throughout all of scripture. It's in Genesis With Adam and Eve, when they sinned, there was a lamb killed to show that their sin leads to death. And that skin was used to cover them as a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do one day for us in dying for us, that his his blood, that his sacrifice would remove our sin, that he would take our place. It's all the way through in Genesis with Abraham and Isaac and Genesis chapter 22. It's all the way in Exodus chapter 12 with Moses and the Israelites and the Passover. It's... It's all the way into the New Testament with Jesus. He rides in on a donkey as king. They worship him. They praise him. They sing songs to him. He's riding in as a king, but on a donkey. It's like the perfect picture of lion, king, and lamb. The humility, the meekness, gentleness, riding in on a donkey. He was the king that they wanted and that they needed, but they were looking for it in a different way. Jesus is both of these things. He is the lion and the lamb. And we are to look for him. The elder says to John, look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look, and he looks, and he sees a lamb. What happens to us when we look? What are you looking at? This, This whole message, if I could summarize it in one word, is what are you looking at? Well, not one word, one phrase. What are you looking at? What has your attention? What has your focus? What has your heart? Is it him? What does it look like to behold him? What does it look like to worship him? What does it look like to see him? What what are we talking about? That word behold means to be captivated. It means to contemplate. It means to think, to grasp, to see. What does that look like? I, I really believe it is about worship. I really believe it's about being quiet before the Lord and quiet in stillness, contemplating him. I believe it's about meditating on his word, not just reading his word, 
but taking portions of it and meditating on it, thinking about it throughout your day, chewing on it as if you were on his word. And what does that do to you? What happens when you begin to behold him? What happens when you behold him? When you behold him, I had four points. I'm just going to give them to you real quick. And I promise you, these points I had before the worship list that, I, that was out there that I knew of. This is just what Jesus is saying, okay? This is what he's saying. I hope you hear him. Number one, what happens when you behold him? You are satisfied. You are satisfied in him. This was not a planned Sunday coordinated with the worship team and the speaker to have all the songs and the word line up. This is what Jesus is saying. Are you satisfied in him? I just want to read one scripture that rocks me. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Through what Jesus has done for you, you can stand before him righteous and you can behold him. Are you satisfied with him? Do you find your worth, your value in him or in what you do? Does your career define you? Does your family status define you? Or does he satisfy you? Only he will satisfy you. Is he enough for you? Is he enough for you? Is he all that you want? When you taste of him, when you see him, when you experience him and it draws you to himself to spend time with him alone and you really know him, it stirs up in you incredible thankfulness. It stirs up in you incredible humility and incredible hunger. If I could define lion and the lamb, the lion is hunger and the lamb is humility. Jesus is both. Perfect image of hunger and humility. He was so hungry for you that he came to this earth and died for you. He was so humble that he surrendered fully to the Father, gave up everything and laid his life down as a lamb to the slaughter. Rejected, betrayed, beaten, and killed for you because of how much he loved you. Are you satisfied in him? The second thing is that you become like him. When you begin to look at him, you become like him. You begin to talk like him, sound like him, walk like him. Your heart beats like his heart. Number three is you walk in victory. You don't live in a victim mentality, victimized by your circumstances or what's been done to you or what's going on in your life. You walk victorious. Sin is not appetizing to you whatsoever because you see him and he's so wonderful. He's so beautiful. You couldn't think about doing something else besides what he wants you walk holy as he is holy because you've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And the last one is that you see others differently. You view, uh, your, your view of others changes 
You begin to see people as he sees them. You're not looking to people for your own gain. You don't have your own agenda for them. You're not trying to use them as objects in your life. You love them. You value them. You honor them. You're thankful for them. And you're willing to give of yourself for them. You begin, your view of glory changes. You, you, you realize what glory is, is to, to live a life of giving and serving and love for others. That's what brings him glory. Your, your view uh, of people changes in such a way where the idea of your, your view of suffering and your view of trials changes. That sometimes when you're going through a tough time with people in your life, you realize, wow, Jesus suffered for me and the Father turned it to good. Therefore, he's going to turn these things to good in my life. Therefore, I can walk victory in victory in my life and not as a victim. Everything changes. When you see him, everything changes. In just a moment, we're going to worship. Does he have your heart? Is he enough for you? What God wants to do you here is so amazing. But he has to know that he can trust you with everything that he has. Is your heart surrendered to him? Are you satisfied in him? Do you wake up in the morning longing for him, wanting to be with him? Or is it just like, oh, I got high up. I just, I should spend time with the Lord. Okay, uh, five minutes is probably okay. I'll just, I'll just worship him in my car on the way there. God wants to kill casual Christianity. He wants to kill comfortable, complacent, casual Christianity. I would venture to say it's not actually Christianity. He wants you. Do you want him? He's hungry for you. Are you hungry for him? Do you have the humility of the lamb today to say, I want him more than anything else. Would you all stand with me? Nothing else satisfies. Nothing in this world satisfies. I enjoy things in my life. I enjoy my family. I enjoy friends. I enjoy things like sports and recreational things. I enjoy things, but he is the only one that satisfies. If you're looking to a substance, if you're looking to a, a sport, you're looking to a business, you're looking to an amount of money, or you're looking to anything in your life to satisfy something, to identify with something, to, feel, to be fulfilled by something besides him, it needs to go. We're going to worship, and if you feel a tug on your heart in any way to really go after him, to not be in a casual place in your pursuit of him, to not be in a crisis place of your pursuit of him, but to be in a place of humility and hunger in your pursuit of him where he is all that you want. He is all that you need. It's about him. It's about his presence. And we're going to sing the song. I just encourage you, church, just to enter in. Just go after him. Put your focus on him. What has your focus? What has your attention? It's got to be him.